Chapter Two of Opening a Chestnut Burr by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Two: Opening a Chestnut Burr. If the reader could imagine a man visiting his own grave, he might obtain some idea of Walter Gregory's feelings as he took the boat which would land him not far from his early home. And yet, so different was he from the boy who had left that home fifteen years before that it was almost the same as if he were visiting the grave of a brother who had died in youth. Though the day was mild, a fresh bracing wind blew from the west. Shielding himself from this on the after-deck, he half reclined, on account of his weakness, in a position from which he could see the shores and passing vessels upon the river. The swift gliding motion, the beautiful and familiar scenery, the sense of freedom from routine work, and the crisp pure air that seemed like a delicate wine all combined to form a mystic lever that began to lift his heart out of the depths of despondency. A storm had passed away, leaving not a trace. The October sun shone in undimmed splendor, and all nature appeared to rejoice in its light. The waves, with their silver crests, seemed chasing one another in mad glee. The sailing vessels, as they tacked to and fro across the river under the swift western breeze, made the water foam about their blunt prows, and the white-winged gulls wheeled in graceful circles overhead. There was a sense of movement and life that was contagious. Gregory's dull eyes kindled with something like interest, and then he thought, The storm lowered over these sunny shores yesterday. The gloom of night rested upon these waters but a few hours since. Why is it that nature can smile and be glad the moment the shadow passes, and I cannot? Is there no sunlight for the soul? I seem as if entering a cave that grows colder and darker at every step, and no gleam shines at the further end, indicating that I may pass through it and out into the light again. Thus letting his fancy wander at will, at times half dreaming and half waking, he passed the hours that elapsed before the boat touched at a point in the highlands of the Hudson, his destination. Making a better dinner than he had enjoyed for a long time, and feeling stronger than for weeks before, he started for the place that now of all the world had for him the greatest attraction. There was no marked change in the foliage as yet, but only a deepening of color, like a flush on the cheek of beauty. As he was driving along the familiar road, farmhouse and grove, and even tree, rock, and thicket began to greet him as with the faces of old friends. At last he saw, nestling in a wild, picturesque valley, the quaint outline of his former home. His heart yearned toward it, and he felt that next to his mother's face no other object could be so welcome. "'Slower, please,' he said to the driver. Though his eyes were moist and at times dim with tears, not a feature of the scene escaped him. When near the gateway he sprung out with a lightness that he would not have believed possible the day before, and said, "'Come for me at five. For a little time he stood leaning on the gate. Two children were playing on the lawn, and it almost seemed to him that the elder, a boy of about ten years, might be himself, and he a passing stranger who had merely stopped to look at the pretty scene. Oh, that I were a boy like that one there! Oh, that I were here again as of old! he sighed. How unchanged it all is, and I so changed! It seems as if the past were mocking me. That must be I there, playing with my little sister. Mother must be sewing in her cheery south room, and Father surely is taking his after-dinner nap in the library. Can it be that they are all dead save me, and that this is but a beautiful mirage? He felt that he could not meet any one until he became more composed, and so passed on up the valley. Before turning away, he noticed that a lady come out at the front door. 
the children joined her and they started for a walk looking wistfully on either side gregory soon came to a point where the orchard extended to the road a well-remembered fall pippin tree hung its laden boughs over the fence and the fruit looked so ripe and golden in the slanting rays of october sunlight that he determined to try one of the apples and see if it tasted as of old as he climbed upon a wall a loose stone fell clattering down and rolled into the road he did not notice this but an old man dozing in the porch of a little house opposite did as gregory reached up his cane to detach from its spray a great yellow-cheeked fellow his hand was arrested and he was almost startled off his perch by such a volley of oaths as shocked even his hardened ears turning gingerly around so as not to lose his footing he faced this masked battery that had opened so unexpectedly upon him and saw a white-haired old man balancing himself on one crutch and brandishing the other at him stop knocking down that wall and fill in the road with stuns you shouted the venerable man in tones that indicated anything but the calmness of age let john walton's apples alone you thief what do you mean by robin in broad daylight right under a man's nose gregory saw that he had a character to deal with and to divert his mind from thoughts that were growing too painful determined to draw the old man out so he said is not taking things so openly a rather honest way of robbing sit down i tell yer cried the guardian of the orchard suppose tis tis robin arter all so now move on and none of your cussed impudence but you call them john walton's apples said gregory eating one with provoking coolness what have you got to do with them and why should you care now look here stranger you're an infernal mean cuss to ask such questions ain't john walton my neighbor and a good neighbor too d'ye suppose a well-meanin man like myself would stand by and see a neighbor robbed and of all other things john walton don't you know that robbin a good man brings bad luck you thunderin fool but i've always had bad luck so i needn't stop on that account retorted gregory from the fence i believe it and you allers will vociferated the old man and i'll tell yer why i know from the cut o your jib that your allers been eatin forbidden fruit if yer lived now a good square life like squire walton and me you'd have no reason to complain of your luck if i could get a clip at yer with this crutch i'd give yer suthin else to complain of if yer had any decency you wouldn't stand there a jibbin at a lame old man gregory took off his hat with a polite bow and said i beg your pardon i was under the impression that you were doin the cussin i shall come and see you soon for somehow it does me good to have you swear at me i only wish i had as good a friend in the world as mr walton has in you with these words he sprung from the fence on the orchard side and made his way to the hill behind the walton residence leaving the old man mumbling and muttering in a very profane manner like enough it was somebody visitin at the waltons and i've made a fool of myself after all what's worse that poor little miss Yulee will hear i've been swearin again and there'll be another awful prayin time what a cussed old fool i be to promise to quit swearin i know i can't what's the good of stoppin it's inside and might as well come out the lord knows i don't mean no disrespect to him it's only one of my ways he knows well enough that i'm a good neighbor and what's the harm in a little cussin and so the strange old man talked on to himself in the intervals between long pulls at his pipe by the time gregory reached the top of the hill his strength was quite exhausted and panting he sat down on the sunny side of a thicket of cedars for the late afternoon was growing chilly beneath him lay the one oasis in a desert world with an indescribable blending of pleasure and pain he found himself tracing with his eye every well-remembered path and marking every familiar object not a breath of air was stirring and it would seem that nature was seeking to impart to his perturbed spirit full of the restless movement of city life 
and the inevitable disquiet of sin something of her own calmness and peace. The only sounds he heard seemed a part of nature's silence. The tinkle of cowbells, the slumberous monotone of water as it fell over the dam, the grating nodes of katydid, rendered hoarse by recent cool nights, in a shady ravine near by, and a black cricket chirping at the edge of the rock on which he sat. These were all and yet the sounds, though not heard for years, seemed as familiar as the mother's lullaby that puts a child to sleep, and a delicious sense of restfulness stole into his heart. The world in which he had so greatly sinned and suffered might be another planet it seemed so far away. Could it be that in a few short hours he had escaped out of the hurry and grind of New York into this sheltered nook? Why had he not come before? Here was the remedy for soul and body, if any existed. Not a person was visible on the place, and it seemed that it might thus have been awaiting him in all his absence, and that now he had only to go and take possession. So our home in heaven awaits us, mother used to say, he thought, while we are such willing exiles from it. I would give all the world to believe as she did. He found that the place so inseparably associated with his mother brought back her teachings, which he had so often tried to forget. I wish I might bury myself away from the world, he muttered, for it has only cheated and lied to me from first to last. Everything deceived me, and turned out differently from what I expected. These loved old scenes are true and unchanged, and smile upon me now as when I was here a happy boy. Would I to heaven I might never leave them again. He was startled out of his reverie by a sharp bark of a squirrel that ran chattering and whisking its tail in great excitement, from limb to limb in a clump of chestnuts near. The crackling of a twig betrayed to Gregory the cause of its alarm, for through an opening in the thicket he saw the lady who had started out for a walk with the children while he was leaning on the front gate. Shrinking further behind the cedars, he proposed to reconnoitre a little before making himself known. He observed that she was attired in a dark, close-fitting costume suitable for rambling among the hills. At first he thought that she was pretty, and then that she was not, his quick critical eye detected that her features were not regular, that her profile was not classic. It was only the rich glow of exercise and the jaunty gypsy hat that had given the first impression of something like beauty. In her right hand, which was ungloved, she daintily held by its short stem a chestnut burr which the squirrel in its alarm had dropped, and now in its own shrill vernacular was scolding about so vociferously. She was glancing around for some means to break it open, and Gregory had scarcely time to notice her fine dark eyes, when, as if remembering the rock on which he had been sitting, she advanced toward him with a step so quick and elastic that he envied her vigor. Further concealment was now impossible. Therefore, with easy politeness, he stepped forward and said, "'Let me open the burr for you, Miss Walton.' She started violently at the sound of his voice, and for a moment reminded him of a frightened bird on the eve of flight. "'Pardon me for so alarming you,' he hastened to say, "'and also pardon a seeming stranger for addressing you so informally. My name may not be unknown to you, although I am in person. It is Walter Gregory.' She had been so startled that she could not immediately recover herself, and still stood regarding him doubtfully, although with manner more assured. Come, he said, smiling and advancing toward her with the quiet assurance of a society man. Let me open the burr for you, and you shall take its contents in confirmation of what I say. If I find sound chestnuts in it, let them be a token that I am not misrepresenting myself. If my test fails, then you may justly ask for better credentials. 
half smiling and quite satisfied from his words and appearance in advance she extended the burr toward him but as she did so it parted from the stem and would have fallen to the ground had he not with his ungloved hand caught the prickly thing his hand was as white and soft as hers and the sharp spines stung him sorely yet he permitted no sign of pain to appear upon his face ah exclaimed miss walton i fear it hurt you he looked up humorously and said an augury is a solemn affair and no disrespect must be allowed to nature's oracle which in this case is a chestnut burr and he speedily opened it there he said triumphantly what more could you ask here are two solid plump chestnuts with only a false empty form of shell between them and here like the solid nuts are two people entitled to each other's acquaintance with only the false formality of an introduction like the empty shell keeping them apart since no mutual friend is present to introduce us has not nature taken upon herself the office through this chestnut burr but perhaps i should further nature's efforts by giving you my card as miss walton regained composure she soon proved to gregory that she was not merely a shy country girl at the close of his rather long and fanciful speech she said genially extending her hand my love for nature is unbounded mr gregory and the introduction you have so happily obtained from her weighs more with me than any other that you could have had let me welcome you to your own home as it were but see your hand is bleeding where the burr pricked you is this an omen also if our first meeting brings bloody wounds i fear you will shun further acquaintance there was a spice of bitterness in gregory's laugh as he said people don't often die of such wounds but it is a little odd that in taking your hand i should stain it with my blood i am inclined to drop the burr after all and base all my claims on my practical visiting card you may come to look upon the burr as a warning rather than an introduction and order me off the premises it was an omen of your choice replied miss walton laughing you have more to fear from it than i if you will venture to stay you shall be most welcome indeed it almost seems that you had a better right here than we and your name has been so often heard that you are no stranger i know father will be very glad to see you for he often speaks of you and wonders if you are like his old friend the dearest one i think he ever had how long have you been here well i have been wandering about the place much of the afternoon i need not ask you why you did not come in at once she said gently seeing your old home after so long an absence is like meeting some dear friend one naturally wishes to be alone for a time but now i hope you will go home with me he was surprised at her delicate appreciation of his feelings and gave her a quick pleased look saying nature has taught you to be a good interpreter miss walton you are right the memories of the old place were a little too much for me at first and i did not know that those whom i met would appreciate my feelings so delicately the two children now appeared running around the brow of the hill the boy calling in great excitement aunt annie oh aunt annie we found a squirrel hole we chased him into it can't susie sit by the hole and keep him in while i go for a spade to dig him out then they saw the unlooked-for stranger who at once rivalled the squirrel hole in interest and with slower steps and curious glances they approached these are my sister's children said miss walton simply gregory kindly took the boy by the hand and kissed the little girl who looked half frightened and half pleased as a very little maiden should while she rubbed the cheek that his mustache had tickled do you think we can get the squirrel aunt annie again asked the boy do you suppose it would be right johnny if you could she asked suppose you were a squirrel in a hole and one big monster like susie here should sit by the door and you heard another big monster say wait till i get something to tear open his house with how would you feel 
won't keep the poor squirrel in this hole said sympathetic susie but the boy's brow contracted and he said sternly squirrels are nothing but robbers and their holes are robbers dens they take half our nuts every year miss walton looked significantly at gregory and laughed saying there it is you see man and woman a momentary shadow crossed his face and he said abruptly i hope susie will be as kindly in coming years miss walton looked at him curiously as they began to descend the hill to the house she evidently did not understand his remark coupled with his manner as they approached the barn there was a great excitement among the poultry passing round its angle walter saw coming toward them a quaint-looking old woman in what appeared to be a white scalloped nightcap she had a pan of corn in her hand and was attended by a retinue that would have rejoiced an epicure's heart chickens ducks geese turkeys and guinea fowls thronged around and after her with an intentness on the grain and a disregard of one another's rights and feelings that reminded one unpleasantly of political aspirants just after a presidential election johnny made a dive for an old gobbler and a great waddled bird dropped his wings and seemed inclined to show fight but a reluctant armistice was brought about between them by the old woman screaming maister johnny an ye let not the fowls alone ye'll ha na apples roast the night susie clung timidly to her aunt's side as they passed through these clamorous candidates for holiday honors and the young lady said kindly you have a large family to look after zibby but i'm afraid we'll lessen it every day now indeed an ye will and it goes against the grain to wring the necks of them that i've nursed from the shell said the old woman rather sharply it must be a great trial to your feelings said miss walton laughing but what would you have us do with them zibby you don't need them all for pets before zibby could answer an old gentleman in a low buggy drove into the large dooryard and the children bounded toward him screaming grandpa a colored man took the horse and mr walton with a briskness that one would not expect at his advanced age came toward them he was a noble-looking old man with hair and beard as white as snow and with the stately manners of the old school when he learned who gregory was he greeted him with a cordiality that was so genuine as to compel the cynical man of the world to feel its truth mr walton's eyes were turned so often and wistfully on his face that gregory was embarrassed i was looking for my friend said the old gentleman in a husky voice turning hastily away to hide his feeling you strongly remind me of him and yet but he never finished the sentence gregory well understood the and yet and in bitterness of soul remembered that his father had been a good man but that the impress of goodness could not rest on his face he had now grown very weary and gave evidence of it mr gregory you look ill said miss walton hastily i am not well he said and have not been for a long time perhaps i am going beyond my strength to-day in a moment they were all solicitude the driver who then appeared according to his instructions was posted back to the hotel for mr gregory's luggage mr walton saying with hearty emphasis that removed every scruple this must be your home sir as long as you can remain with us as truly as ever it was a little later he found himself in the spare room on whose state he had rarely intruded when a boy jeff the colored man had kindled a cheery wood fire on the ample hearth and too exhausted even to think gregory sank back in a great easy chair with the blessed sense of the storm tossed on reaching a quiet haven End of chapter 2